Patrick Pitts from the Carlton Footy Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Roy Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Number 14 in the 50 most relevant is a player that for years we've missed in our fantasy footy sides, but it looks like we'll be able to pick him in 2020. Sam Doherty is who we're talking about today, and for some, maybe it's too late. Who knows? But joining me to talk about Doc, I've got Tim. Hello, buddy. G'day, how's it going? It's good, man. Look, let's talk about this, crazily enough, just 26-year-old defender, this Carlton footballer, has been much loved and reminisced about for the past few seasons. But due to multiple ACL injuries, he's severely discounted on, on what he's been able to show he can do. Just uh, around about 440000 just under that in a super coach. Like, it's, it's still cheap. Uh, but it's not as cheap as some had hoped he'd be. But to be honest, look, he's just such a good player. Uh, we love him in AFL Fantasy, 563000 uh, While in Dream Team, it's crazily enough, again, the most expensive format of them all. Just under 600000 $591,200. And it felt, unfortunately, Tim, a little bit like deja vu just 12 months ago. ACL injury to Sam Doherty was traveling nicely in the preseason. We were talking about his value. He was a popular owned player as the formats opened. And then yet again, another ACL and a further 12 months out of the game for the Carlton captain. Yeah, it's such a shame, isn't it? When, uh, well, I guess when anyone goes down with such an injury, but when you've got the top defender in uh, all formats last year, just went down with it and you don't get to watch him or have him in your team. It's a, uh, it's sort of a shame for that year, but I guess the first thing Dream Teamers do is just put a little note in But the year after, 2020, and uh, I guess that's where we're at now. Yeah, look, 12 months ago, he offered value based on the potential that he could deliver numbers of what he did in 2017. Don't worry, we'll talk about them in just a moment. But again, a further 12 months out of the game has just brought his value down substantially. In, in a contrast point, he's priced a, as a mid-70s player in AFL Fantasy. He's play, And then for Dream Team and Supercoach in, in the low 80s. So, you know, 30 to 40 points per game based off if he can get anywhere near the numbers of what he did in 2016 and 2017. And again, the, the positive, there's not a whole heap of news that's come out from Carlton at the moment throughout the preseason. You're, you're sort of talking November and December was the most public. But if anyone that's been a Carlton watcher over the track over the past couple of months and seeing some of the stuff that their media and social media team have put out, we're seeing Doherty completing the drills. We're seeing him involved in match simulation. And while we need to hold some level of fire until we see him in the Marsh preseason games everything's tracking nicely for us. And that's what we want to see, isn't it, Tim? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the ones you talk about in November, he was sort of referencing feeling as fit and strong as ever. So um, basically saying that, you know, as long as that keeps going, as long as he keeps doing the preseason and uh, has no hiccups, then he at least feels like he's on track to be right, to be back uh, as he was last year. And um, if he is, then I guess it's going to be hard not to start with him. 
And, and that's the fascinating thing. And a little bit later on, I do want to get your take on whether or not there's merit in choosing to go against him or not. But what has coaches salivating over the opportunity to select him again in the mid-70s price range in AFL Fantasy, the low 80s in Dream Team and Supercoach? is that 2017 season where in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team played every single game, averaged just shy of 117 from 22 games. He had 16 tons. 10 of them he translated into big 120-plus scores. And he only had two scores under 70 all season. Again, this is a defender, and yet we're getting premium midfield numbers. And there were games where you could have put the captaincy on him in all formats, and he would have returned value for money. And Supercoach, in 2017, he averaged just shy of the 115 marker, 17 tons in that format, 10 scores of 120 or more, and only dropped under 90 in three occasions. Gosh, man, if we get even close to echoing those numbers, he's arguably the number one defender if he can do it again. Absolutely. And um, look, if you could get close to replicating that, you'd pay... The premium price for yeah, him, let alone the discounted price. And uh, I think even at the start of 2017, he was number one or number two defender from the previous year and uh, had his first 100 season. Half the people thought, you know, he's not going to back that up. He's too expensive. And he added, what, about 15 points in Dream Team and yeah. five or and in uh, Supercoach on top of that. So um, even if he steps back a bit to the 2016 season, he's still going to be a 100 defender. Well, that's right. That 2016 season, he averaged 101 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, 12 tonnes. The ceiling wasn't as substantial, though, just the four over 120, but only had two scores dipping below 80, which is kind of your pass mark for your premium numbers through there. Uh, maybe less for you. Who knows? In Supercoach, 109. So a stronger year through there, or just shy of 109, should I say. But 16 tons, six scores over 120. And again, just a you know two or three scores below 80 or more. So he doesn't, you're right. He doesn't have to go back to that insane premium midfield numbers of 2017. Even close to the 2016 season, and we've got you know, some big top-line numbers. We're looking at players like a, a Jake Lloyd and a Bachelor a Rory Led, a Jack Crisp, you know, Caleb Daniel, these sort of players, um, and Zach Williams. Some of them we've talked about in the 50 most relevant. Others, maybe they appear later. They're all there and thereabouts, that 100 average number and price range. And yet here we have a guy priced in the mid-70s to low-80s, depending on the format, who's done multiple years averaging 100-plus, it, it's a brave coach, and there are question marks, but it is a brave coach to not select Sam Doherty in 2020. Yeah, if he's named round one, it'll be a very brave coach not to, to go near him because, um, I mean, at his price point, as you say, not only do you not need 115 or even 100 average, like if he averages 90-something, given where he's priced at, that's, you'd take that every day. Like if you had someone you thought would break out from a mid-70 to a, a 90-plus average in the back line, you'd be pretty happy picking him. Yeah, and, and look, again, a, a key factor, and it's not the only, but a key factor in minimizing risk in your starting squad is looking at that ownership percentage. And right now, depending on the format you play, he's one of, if not the, most highly owned defenders in the game. And so choosing to take on popular players, there's always merit for it if it can go your way. But there is an element of risk around it. One, because even if he only does deliver what he's priced at, you're not overpaying for him. Um, but two, because so many coaches own him, um, the risk of going against him 
um, and getting it wrong as opposed to the risk of, you know, picking him and being, oh, well, he only got me 85. That's a big equation to weigh up. Because he, he, he is one of only a handful of defenders that can take a season away from you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As you say, like the ownership numbers definitely do come into it. If he was owned by, you know, 5% or uh, 90%, it sort of makes uh, a very big difference to you. Or I think whatever his ownership numbers are, they're going to be pretty high, as you say. Um, so it's definitely something to take into account. And uh, just on the scoring, obviously 2017 was two or three years ago yeah. since his last game, probably two and a half years since his last game of footy. So. Has anything changed at Carlton that would affect him, do you think? I mean, obviously they've got a new coach and yep. a couple of new players, but you'd still expect him to have the same role out of the back line? Yeah, what's fascinating, I've kind of got three big questions around um, around Sam Doherty. One of them is this, is around the game style. The Carlton of 2020 is not the Carlton of 2017. Cast your mind back. They were, and they have been for a long time now, but wallowing towards the basement, of the AFL, could barely win a game, trying to give these young kids opportunities to play, and they were just trying to mitigate the damage on the scoreboard. So what we saw, and it was of great benefit for Doherty through 2017, is this game style where it was a high retention ball game style where it was, we don't want to get destroyed on the scoreboard. We don't want to open up the game. We don't want to be trying to get, you know, 80, 90, 100 points per game. Rather, we're happy to kind of get 60, lose by 20 or 30 and make it not too bad. And it was one of the reasons why Brendan Bolton had so many critics towards the end of just let the kids play, open up the game. Let's see some free scoring football. That game style's not in vogue for David Teague. We started to see them hit the game much more um, aggressively. and Their midfield and the defenders trying to move the ball quickly, get the ball inside forward 50 so their talls and smalls could get to work. So that is, it's not a huge question, but it's just a factor of, well, that game style for Carlton is very, very different. The other one you mentioned is there are some new players in that back line. Simo's still rolling there. Nick Newman's coming to the side. And Petrevsky-Seaton, um, is playing more halfback off last year. That's a lot of quality ball users that they're not all going to be getting ball off the back line. Do you see one of them either moving or regressing, Tim? Uh, look, that's a great question. Obviously, they've all come in and done all right at that last year, but um, you would expect Doherty would push his way in. So, mm. look, gut feel, you'd think that Doherty is less likely to be impacted than the other guys you mentioned, but um, until we sort of see it happen, I guess it is a bit of an unknown factor. Yeah, it is. And again, it's not enough of a compelling reason to go, uh, that's it, jump off the, the Doherty ship. There, there's plenty. No, it's just, it is a keeping that expectation of what he's going to deliver for us. Because even though we know a fit Doherty can be, you know, a very, very good top line premium defender, what we don't know is how that backline structures up now that he's back in there. Yes, he could just slide straight into the Dale Thomas role. Absolutely, that that's a possibility, but they love the ball in his hands. So it's going to be interesting how that structures up. And then the second is players coming off AACL injury often have a um, reduction and a decline in their scoring anyway, let alone off too. So I, I don't know. I think it's more let's temper our expectations about what he delivers for us more than anything else. Yep, and that's a great point. I mean, you obviously see it with a few different injuries. Even people who miss a week with concussion usually 
on average have about a 10% drop, I think, on the stats. So broken legs and uh, knees and the major things, uh, you're right. Like, I guess that basically points to he's not really going to average 115 again this year. But um, given his price, it's more about working out what you're comfortable with, what is likely for him to get. Yeah, exactly. Look, his ownership is is sky high. Um, The potential growth of, you know, if if I got, gosh, a 90 out of Doherty, knowing how many people own him, that's a huge raging success uh, for you, no matter what the format is. Maybe as the year goes on, he gets stronger and better. Absolutely. Um, But he definitely is someone to watch in the Marsh preseason, as much for the Carlton game structure as anything else to see how they're choosing to use him. Of course, they're going to be conservative and let him build into it. But it is about that role and that structure that gets through there. I do see some coaches choosing to take him on, and I applaud anyone that wants to be brave and bold and to do that. Um, I I will never, ever talk someone out of being brave um, and taking on a really popular option. It's got risk associated to it, absolutely, but... I love seeing coaches going, nah, look, I think I can match him for points. I think I can, you know, I want to go for a less highly owned guy. Bravo for you for doing that. Know the risks involved, but bravo in doing that if you want to be crazy. Let's talk for about sure. drafts. Draft, just before the draft, yes. I was just going to say, the other part of him is the buy round and yeah. who you might pick instead of him. And uh, I think he's got a pretty decent buy round in terms of the other premium defenders. There's not a huge amount of gun defenders he's up against. Yeah, look, so when you want to look through um, all the defenders that he sits on in that multi-buy round, he's right in the middle portion um, of our buy option players. So he sits alongside Collingwood, Fremantle, Melbourne, then Sydney, and also sits alongside Richmond. So there are some big names through there. So it is probably the other factor to consider is you're going to have Lloyd, Hooley, Crisp, Luke Ryan um, as just some of the top line names, potentially some more unique options in Connor Blakely. Um, You might be looking at a Christian Salem, even a Nick Newman. So it is quite a defensive premium heavy one. So I think it's just, again, you raise that great point before we do talk about drafts that that is a lot of big name premiums through there. Maybe one or two of them you're going to choose to upgrade to. Maybe one of them, you know, because it could be otherwise quite a heavy uh, loss of points through your back line. Yep. Good pickup. Drafts, where does he go though, mate? He, uh, based off uh, the hype, you know, some might be picking him. Gosh, as their D1, I, I feel like that's quite risky. Where would you be happy to kind of pick him up knowing that if you leave it too long, you miss out on the potential value, but if you jump too early, you could be missing, um, you know, a trick with some other lines. Where do you feel comfortable picking him in a draft? I kind of feel like this is the, the year where I'm just not going to get Doherty in a draft because yeah. I reckon by the time he would hit my board, someone would have taken him earlier than that. Yeah. Um, I reckon some there'll be people who will want him as their top defender, yes. and for sure he could be that number one defender. But like, you know, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't take him in the first half dozen of defenders. There's other guys with less risk, I suppose, and you're yeah. you'd be using wouldn't be first round, but, you know, some people would probably take him yeah, they will. by the third round. They I will. think he would be gone. Yeah. Yeah, look, for me, I'd feel really comfortable selecting him as a, as a D2. I feel like that's okay. Um, now, where that is in your draft board depends on who else is around. But, yeah, I feel like I'm reaching too far to go D D1. D3, look, you might get lucky. I doubt it, but you might. 
Um, but but a D2 feels about right. Now, whether or not that's, you know, a fifth or a sixth or a seventh round, um, he, he's going to be gone around that, you know, by then, no doubt, for sure. You'd think so, yeah. And as I know Hooley was really good last year, but if you go back three or four years, he was sort of a perennial guy who dropped in drafts and he would always be a pretty solid mm. 85 to 90 guy. And, um, you know, will Doherty be above that? Look, if all goes well, yes, he will, but... Yeah. No guarantees, and he certainly has the big injury risk and uh, the other uh, factors we mentioned. So I kind of feel like, like you said, if you can get him as your second defender in about the fifth or sixth, yeah. seventh round, that would be ideal. Um, I wouldn't really be that comfortable going on him Any much earlier. before that. Yeah, I'm like Particularly because you. you find, like, when you look back at drafts, I don't know if others get this, but I find this pretty consistently over time, that um, the second half of a draft are the guys you delist and rotate through free agency. Mm. If you have to delist too many of your early draft picks. You tend not to do that well. Yeah. Yeah, you want to get those first five to ten picks spot on um, and, and really minimise the risk. He's got plenty of upside, um, but again, it's all about when you draft him that, that it increases the value point for you. Mate, appreciate your thoughts today on Sam Doherty. No worries. Cheers. If you want to go and check out the article, it is online now for you, coachespanel.tv, as are all the other players we've revealed thus far in the 50 most relevant. We're getting close to the top 10 and getting close now. Just read about two weeks away from these pre-season matches happening. It is going to be an absolute massive pre-season here at the Coaches Panel. And we thank you for being a part of it so far.